0: Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Thursday, December 14th. I'm Hannah Floor. Petersburg School District Superintendent Erica klute announced her retirement yesterday after 23 years with the district. She said in an email that the decision came after much soul-searching and deliberation. She will retire at the end of the school contract year, June 30th of 2024. The school board will begin the search for her replacement immediately. Clute Painter said in the email, I feel confident and hopeful about the district's future with a strong administrative team and staff and multiple projects and plans in process to help things move forward. Clute Painter says during her tenure, she poured her heart and soul into her work. She has been superintendent for nine years. Before that, she was principal of the Racy Stedman Elementary for 14 years. She made the announcement to the Petersburg School Board while in executive session at Tuesday's regularly scheduled meeting. The board plans to formally accept Klute Painter's retirement during its meeting in January. School board members said in a joint letter yesterday that Klute Painter, quote, made the job of a school board member an easy one. They noted her grace in ushering the district through difficult situations and the support she provides to both new and experienced staff. Glute Painter plans to stay in Petersburg with her husband, John, who will continue on with the district as its technology director. She says she's excited to have some flexibility in her schedule and is looking forward to spending time with her parents and traveling. She also hopes to do some work mentoring aspiring principals and superintendents. School board members encourage the public to share kind words in anticipation of her retirement. Emails can be sent to exec. At pcsd.us and mail can be sent to PO Box 289. Governor Mike Dunleavy said Tuesday that he plans to include funding to replace an aging state ferry in his budget request for next year. The remarks came after Senator Lisa Murkowski urged her fellow Republican to set aside $23 million in the budget to help support a much larger federal grant that would find a, fund a replacement vessel for the 59-year-old Ferry Tustamina. In a recent interview with the Anchorage Daily News, Murkowski said the state ferry system had been allowed to go into, quote, a death spiral due to the lack of funding for service and maintenance. In recent years, the ferry system has weathered breakdowns, cut back port calls, and struggled to hire crew. But at a news conference ahead of his annual holiday open house in Juneau, Dunleavy pushed back.
1: We don't believe it's going on a debt spiral. As a matter of fact, the last few years we've put a lot of money into it. We restructured it. We believe it's on a track to become an excellent transportation system for the state of Alaska. So, disagree with the debt spiral. We're working on the matching funding. Yeah, we'll include it in our budget.
0: The funding would unlock nearly 100 million dollars in federal money from 2021's bipartisan infrastructure law. The replacement for the testamina is expected to serve south-central and western Alaska as the state ferry system's first hybrid diesel-electric vessel. Murkowski says federal officials have already announced more than $400 million in federal infrastructure funding for the Alaska Marine Highway System this year alone. Murkowski says she expects the infrastructure law to provide an additional $600 million for the state ferry system in the coming years. A spokesperson released a statement praising the matching funds yesterday. By law, the governor's budget is due to lawmakers by tomorrow. Dan Levy says he expects to release it today. The budget provides a starting point for state lawmakers who refine the spending plan during the legislative session. The session begins January 16th. A record number of cruise ship passengers visited Juneau this year. Now city leaders are considering whether and how to set a future limit. KTOO's Katie Anastas has more on what that could look like.
2: Juno tourism manager Alexandra Pierce spoke at a Juno assembly retreat on Saturday. She said locals are most concerned about the daily impacts of the industry.
3: what, What they see day in, day out, where and when they feel overwhelmed.
2: Pierce says there are three kinds of limits she thinks the cruise industry might agree to. One is a daily passenger limit, a cap on the number of people who could come to Juneau on a cruise each day.
3: That's something that, in my preliminary conversations with Clea and the cruise lines, they're, I mean, you know, they don't love any sort of limits, but they're, they're, they're comfortable with that discussion.
2: Juno and the cruise industry agreed to a limit of 5 large ships per day starting next year. But the overall volume of passengers will remain about the same. Assembly member Alicia Huiscandí says that overall number still matters.
3: Our slow days are less slow than they used to be. So that being said, um I'd be here, you know, like, I don't think it's, we should throw out the idea of negotiating an overall season number.
2: Pierce says the industry might also be open to a ship size limit. The city of Palma de Mallorca in Spain limits both the number of ships and ship size. Three cruise ships can visit each day and only one of them can have more than 5,000 people.
3: We don't have the infrastructure in Alaska to get those massive ships like you see in the Caribbean and Mediterranean, but but that's something that we could consider as a ship size limit.
2: A third option is to schedule ship-free days. Pierce says the industry likes that option the least because of how it might affect trip itineraries. Assembly member Christine Wall says she'd want to consult local business owners. I want
3: to hear from the local tourism industry, you know, which of these works for them. Like, if we have no ship days, does everybody close? And
2: do people want to come downtown? Pierce says Plan A is negotiating an agreement with the cruise industry. Plan B would be regulation from the city government. Other communities have tried going that route and ended up in court. In Bar Harbor, Maine, local business owners sued the town after its citizens voted to approve a 1,000 passenger daily limit. In Sitka, city officials denied a citizen's petition to put a visitor cap on the ballot, saying it could be unconstitutional. They denied it for a second time last week. Juneau resident Carla Hart proposed a ballot initiative in 2021. It would have asked voters to set a ship size limit, no ship days, and no ship hours. That initiative didn't get enough signatures to go to voters. In Juneau, I'm Katie Anastas.
0: Alaska's response to the national housing shortage has been different than other states. In many areas across the country, new housing is going up rapidly to meet demand, but not in Alaska. In a recent presentation to the SICA Chamber of Commerce, Nolan Klauda explained that Alaska ranks 45th out of all states in per capita new housing construction, building about two new units per thousand people on average. Within the state, the MATSU was at the top of the list for new construction, and not far behind... Southeast. Sitka actually builds a lot more housing per capita than, than anywhere else in the state besides the massive, which, is, which is something that's really
1: interesting. This is all adjusted for population. Sitka's building about four units for every thousand people. So I found it interesting that, that Southeast communities are on the top there. Um, also, Haines, Ketchikan, and Gatwick are um, above the statewide average, too.
0: Clouda is the director of the University of Alaska Center for Economic Development in Anchorage. He traveled to Sitka to participate in the chamber's fall speaker series on housing. Most of the new housing construction in Sitka is the result of an expansion by the Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium, or SEARCH. Overall, has said that projects like the employer-built housing and new subsidized housing for seniors will improve housing markets, but not necessarily the bottom line for buyers.
1: Whatever the cost, though, I think that's that's really good news uh, overall. I still want to see much more housing. Nonetheless, I think Sitka is doing better than than most of our communities
0: Alaska on this measure, um, even though you know, affordability might still be a big problem. Clouda attributed the affordability problem to a lack of land in the state, high construction costs, and out-of-date zoning laws, most of which were written when Alaska was a different kind of state. A lot of times zoning is about protecting existing neighborhoods from change more than, more than it is about uh, health or safety or, or anything like that. He also was unwilling to place full blame on the growth of short-term rentals for Alaska's high housing costs. Based on anecdotal data, he estimated that 3% of SICA's housing stock was tied up in short-term rentals. Clauda felt that the short-term rental market was adapting to changes in the visitor industry faster than other types of accommodation.
1: So the challenge that I think say it, 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 it's, it's not, that, not that short-term rentals are inherently evil. Um, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense that people would want to to have that kind of income supplement. Um, I think the challenge with it is they continue to, each each year you're going to see more and more housing tied up as as short-term rentals. That's, you know, as as visitor numbers increase statewide, we don't necessarily build a lot of hotels anymore. Um, You know, around the state, you don't see a lot of hotel construction happening. Uh, So more and more of your housing stock gets tied up as short-term rentals and we have really low rates of building. So more and more housing stock becomes, you know, essentially a hotel,
0: Cloud has said he feared the short-term rental trend growing out of hand, however, and he favored imposing caps to keep them in check. Ketchikan grand jury last week indicted four people, and another was arrested on felony drug charges. That adds them to a list of nearly 20 people actively facing felony charges for fentanyl, heroin, and methamphetamine in the city. As KRBD's Jack Darrell reports, the topic came up at Monday night's Ketchikan City
4: Council meeting.
1: To the flag of the of America.
4: Homelessness and addiction weren't on the city council's meeting agenda. But according to downtown business owners who took the podium, they should have been. They said homelessness and drug addiction have become problems too big to ignore. Problems that now affect their income. Jamie Palmer opened a downtown gift shop in 2017. She's also a borough assembly member, but is at the meeting on her own behalf
3: and it's scary for entrepreneurs and people who want to even have this hope and a dream that I talked about in 2017. Why would you?
4: Palmer says that she believes in this town, but she looks outside and sees drugs being passed around in duffel bags, and that belief gets challenged. Palmer also says that she's frustrated by a lack of punitive action.
3: Unfortunately, here, you can go and rob somebody and what is it, $950 and get a slap on the hand. Um, If you do that multiple times, like a little business like mine, I don't have a business anymore. It's, it's
4: garbage. A local landlord named Matt Presley had a similar story. He says the drug and homelessness problems are frustrating his tenants. Now, every one of my tenants is threatening to move out. And it's like a bad horror movie. I have great tenants, and we
1: have a known fentanyl dealer directly across from us. We literally have not had a full night's sleep in three weeks from the screaming the hollering.
4: What both Presley and Palmer say they want is simple to hear officials address it, to see it on meeting agendas. Community leaders will be talking more about it soon. At the end of January, members of the U.S. National Guard will arrive in Ketchikan to help establish an emergency action plan. They'll work with groups like the police department and EMS on best practices related to fentanyl and how to utilize the Alaska National Guard's civil support team. Civil support teams are generally called upon in the event of a natural or man-made disaster or when there are substances that local authorities cannot safely handle or identify. Law enforcement and downtown business owners aren't the only ones on the front lines of addiction and homelessness in the city. Nasa Dominguez is an ER doctor in the local hospital. She spoke to KRBD in a coffee shop on her day off.
3: So there's people who come in um, and require several doses of Narcan, and they're like, I did math, Like, I wasn't expecting this outcome. Like, that's I, I wasn't trying to get high. I was trying to smoke bath um, so we're seeing a little bit of that contamination where people are unintentionally overdosing and they're like that wasn't the effect I was looking for
4: Dominguez says when a new batch of drugs arrives in town she knows
3: you'll see upticks um, and you kind of get an idea like when something has hit the town like you'll start to see a few more people come in more frequently you're like oh something something got to town um, or somebody got into a bad batch because you'll see more people overdosing because it's, it's stronger
4: and yes fentanyl and heroin and methamphetamine are dangerous But Dominguez says the most destructive presence in Ketchikan, on the emergency room floor, is alcohol.
3: The drugs are there, absolutely, and you see people with methamphetamines, you see people who are trying to do a different drug, maybe got fentanyl in their system, Um, but alcohol is above and beyond the most exhausting thing that we see.
4: Dominguez says people will come off the streets too inebriated to care for themselves. She sees them every day, or every other day, sometimes for decades. She sees their decline. But there are also glimmers of light at the end of the tunnel.
3: Or you see people who get cleaned up, and it's awesome. Like, you see someone, like, really regularly for several months, and then they you don't see them, and then you see them for something completely unrelated. And you're like, oh, my gosh, yeah! Like, so Yay, that's so great.
4: Dominguez says when patients stop showing up, it could be for two reasons. And sometimes, hopefully, it's the better one. She says recovery is possible. As a doctor in the community, she sees it. Ten of the active felony cases in Ketchikan's court system originated this year. They involve both residents and people accused of bringing drugs to town, on ferries, on planes, and by mail. As the cases are still in proceedings, all are innocent until proven guilty. In Ketchikan, I'm Jack Darrell.
0: For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.